Hello and welcome to the first in a series of podcasts from the Shoesmiths Contentious Financial Services team. Today we're going to look at section 166, skilled person reviews, and highlight a few points to bear in mind when making an appointment and during the, the review process itself. Uh, my name is Darren Allen. I'm a partner in the financial services team at Shoesmiths, and I've acted as a skilled person on a number of occasions and shadowed a number of skilled persons appointments. I'm delighted today to be, to be joined by my fellow partner at Shoesmiths, Jonathan Crook, who specializes in financial services regulation and litigation and has shadowed a number of skilled person reviews. I'm also delighted to be um, joined by David Brain from um, Avise Partners, which is a recently established consultancy. David's background is um, in financial intelligence. I think you were uh, at NCIS and Soccer um, prior to the NCA. Um, he's been an MLRO. Um, and prior to um, setting up um, Avise, had 10 years uh, consulting, during which he's led and advised on a number of um, skilled person appointments. Okay, so on to the um, first question. There, there are signs that the FCA are likely to be very active in 2022, as hopefully, I say hopefully, we emerge from the pandemic. Do you think this will lead to more Section 166 appointments, David? Yeah, it's an interesting one. The FCA's latest business plan does seem to shift the focus or continue to shift the focus um, to principles and outcomes as opposed to rules and process. Skill person reviews um, allow the skilled person to really sort of kick the tires and see if firms are getting to the desired outcome. So I think my view is yes. Um, I think there will be more skilled person reviews. Um, and then just in terms of pure numbers, the FCA does tend to backload um, skilled person reviews in terms of their year. Their year runs April to March. In the first half of the year, um, we saw 18 skilled person reviews. In the second half of the previous year, we saw 42. So we are in that second half of the year now, and I've seen a number of um, requirement notices. So again, that would suggest that um, skilled person reviews are on the up, I would say. Jonathan, do you have any views on that? Um, yeah, I think we're, we may well see some more um, appointments in 2022. Um, my main area of focus is in relation to um, wholesale and retail um, um, markets and firms, and in particular, uh, re the, the retail side of things. And I certainly expect to see more appointments from 2023 onwards uh, when the, the FCA new consumer duty has taken effect, which is all pretty new, but is going to become increasingly um, important during 2022. I think there's also considerations in relation to the FCA's requirements um, in relation to operational resilience. And on the latter point, it is possible that the FCA may choose in the latter part of, of 2022 um, to sample some of the self-assessments that firms are required to produce across the sector. And uh, if the FCA is of the view that um, firms have, for example, failed properly to identify their important business services or not properly assessed impact tolerances or have failed properly to map and test those so the actual self-assessment is flawed, then the FCA may, I think, look to use its, its Section 166 powers to, um, to review that, um, especially in relation perhaps to, to, you know, to larger firms. So I guess what that means is that the firms, the work that's being done in those areas by firms could well become the subject of scrutiny by a skilled person in relatively short order. Um, 
which only emphasises the importance of getting that work done properly um, and ensuring in particular that it's properly documented. Uh, and I think that's a challenge as it's obvious to me that there are some significant differences in approach on some key issues. And um, so identifying uh, best practice at this stage is a little bit easier said than done. Very good. Okay, so look, um, let's get down into the, the, the detail of a section 166 appointment. Um, I mean, for those of us that advise regulated firms, obviously the aim at the outset is to try to avoid an appointment, for example, undertaking an, an independent investigation. And I have one or two occasions being successful. Um, but um, if that fails um, and a section 166 appointment is inevitable, what are the key points um, that um, firms should consider at the outset? Jonathan. Well, yeah, well, in the interest of full disclosure, with, with very limited exceptions, I've never been able to change the FC, uh, persuade the FCA to change its mind on a Section 166 appointment when it's decided that that's the approach that it's, get, that it's going to take. Um, and in many instances, the, the FCA will make that decision for, for, for resource reasons as well. It, it may be a matter which the FCA could itself look into or investigate, but um, often it will decide that a, uh, appointing a skilled person is, is appropriate from the resourcing side. So the focus for me at the outset needs to be very much on ensuring that the firm and the individuals involved understand the process and the likely scope of the review and how in particular, um, and again, perhaps easier said than done, but how in particular the scope of the appointment is not is going to be no wider than it actually needs to be. And all of that really amounts to ensuring that there is a sensible dialogue opened with the FCA um, as soon as uh, as soon as practically possible. David, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think for me, the most important thing is for senior management to accept really that at that point in time, they are where they are. And the focus has to be to look forwards and not back. Um, I've seen on a number of occasions where CEOs and MLROs and, and heads of compliance, they waste sort of valuable time really sort of ruining where they are and feel a bit aggrieved where they are and you know maybe they maybe they're right to feel aggrieved maybe they're not but the fact is that they are where they are and they they need to sort of dedicate their focus going forward that kind of um feeling you know it can manifest as well in further down the chain where where staff feel that they shouldn't be in the process and and what that ultimately leads to is um a potentially fractious 166 from the start which is in no one's interest so accepting where you are and, and moving forward um would always be my um starting point and to, to echo jonathan's um point i mean I, i'm the same as him and not, not as uh not as skilled as you darren you know I've, I've never been able to sort of manage to um get the fca to change their mind so uh, i would echo jonathan's point there the, the other thing i would say is that at the stage is to the importance of a good plan shouldn't be underestimated. Um, you know, even before the skilled person is appointed, firms will will know what their issues are because they will a well they should know anyway, but they will have a a requirement notice that that lays it out quite clearly. So, don't hang on for the skilled person appointment to crack on with putting in place a, a robust plan to to fix the issues. Uh, speaking as a skilled person, it's actually quite 
quite disarming when you first go into a, a firm when you've been appointed and they're seemingly in control and they've got a robust plan. It, it, it really does set a good tone for the firm and, and um, gives the impression that they're in control, even though there's issues. Okay. Well, look, look, in the interest of complete disclosure, I should, I should, <laughs> I should emphasize I've not, um, I've not managed to change the mind of the FCA. I think what I was talking about is where you know that there's an issue and you manage to organize yourself in a, in, in a, in a, in a way in which you can um, offer uh, to undertake an, an independent investigation, that sometimes is more palatable rather than actually changing the SCA's mind. Um, I, mean, I, w- I want to pick up a um, point about scope because I think this um, is where I've seen uh, issues. You know, firms need to pay particular attention to the detail in the requirement notice. I mean, that's an obvious point. But um, it's it's so that, that often problems occur because uh, not enough attention is being paid to that at the outset. So, for example, if there's an opinion required of the skilled person, on what basis is that opinion being provided? Is it best practice? Is it peer group related? Uh, is it best in class? So, you know, on what basis is is the opinion being offered? Uh, and then, are the terms fully understood? So, again. To give you an example, I had one where um, the skilled person was asked to look at crystallized money laundering risk, which is all well and good, except no one quite understood what crystallized money laundering risk was. Was it actual money laundering? Was it the risk of money laundering? Was it a failure to make disclosure? Nobody knew. And, and, and if, the, if the terms aren't clear at the very outset, um, then you're unlikely to have a, a skilled person um, review outcome that's going to be satisfactory to all concerned. And then the other point I make about um, things to do at the outset is um, is to get someone to shadow the skilled person, particularly in relation to complex um, reviews. Um, have 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 an expert to assist you in that in that process. And finally, prepare in advance. Uh, um, as a as a skilled person, um, one of the things that I found really frustrating is when you ask for documents and then they they don't they're not provided to you in a quick and efficient manner. And um, certainly, when I've been shadowing. Um, skilled person um, reviews, um, my, my aim is to be uh, or, or to ensure that my clients um, have all the documents prepared and are available very quickly to, to, be, to be provided to, to the skilled person. I think that's an important point, Darren, because nothing is worse than the FCA making an early information request and being under the impression that a firm is having to scrabble around to get the information to respond to that request and unfortunately it happens all too often and it's a it's it, you know it's a problem it creates an issue of perception which can be difficult to overcome and it's also easily avoided by having a proper plan in place which comes back to david's point about the importance of that i think that's right and it goes back to the point about being in control and portraying that you're in control there'll always be a an element of kind of legs flapping under the water but I think you do need to be in control and that then in terms of future uh, engagement with the skilled person and the FCA it puts you on a much better footing yeah I agree okay so um, on the assumption that the FCA has not made a direct appointment of a skilled person um, when firms are looking to um, to appoint a skilled person what, what should they be looking for what should they consider David. For me on this one, the most important thing is selecting a person and a firm that as an as a institution you think you can work with. It can be a long process um, over multiple phases. Um, I, I, I was a skilled person um, for a bank over four phases, which, which, which covered three years. So we were with this bank for a long time. And if you don't have that mutual respect and understanding of the other side's position, it can be a very 
Um, as I said before, it can be quite fractious. So choosing your skilled person carefully, I would put at the top of the list. You're never going to agree on everything, um, particularly on the judgment perspective, um, but you need that respect on both sides. Um, so I would always encourage firms to do their due diligence, speak to fear, speak to peer firms, um, ask for a reference. Um, we, um, the, the, the firm that I mentioned, we were pitching for some another piece of work. Um, and we said to them, speak to the CEO of the firm that, that we were with three years, um, see what they think of us, see how we go about our work, how we engage with senior management. You're never, you're never going to know 100% that you can get on with someone, but you can certainly give yourself the best chance of doing that. I agree. I certainly when I was, um, when I've been part of a panel looking to um, instruct skilled persons um, on behalf of clients, uh, you know, those are precisely the things that I would look for. Can you work with the skilled person? Are they going to be fair? Um, are they going to keep you regularly informed? I mean, the last thing you want is to have um, a skilled person that um, gives the impression that things have been going on, uh, have been going very, very well for a number of months. And then at the last minute, you're presented with a report that has a raft of serious criticisms. You don't really want any um, bad news um, right at the end of the process. You'd rather know exactly what's happening along the way. And one of the ways in which you can possibly deal with that is to have a, a project manager so that you get, uh, and I mean a project manager appointed by the client um, who works with the skilled person. It works um, quite well for both sides. The skilled person can ensure that the, man, that the, the whole um, review is managed properly and, and there are no uh, real problems from the client's perspective who can then line up documents and line up um, individuals to be interviewed and so on. So, Jonathan, any thoughts from you on? No, I agree with all of that. I think, on a practical, um, from a practical perspective, on the issue of cost, um, I think it is legitimate um, on a on a complex appointment to find out who who is going to be on the team and actually ask the skilled person to justify the inclusion of everyone who is on that team. Um, a skilled person's appointment is a fantastic opportunity for firms to upskill their staff. Um, but it shouldn't be something that the firm that is the subject, the skilled person review is actually paying for. So no, cheapest is, is certainly going for the cheapest option is certainly not what you can you should consider. But there is you're, you're still entitled to actually ask the skilled person to you know to justify the team that's being involved and how they contribute to the overall result. I think just I think that's a really good point, Jonathan. And the actual skilled person won't actually spend that much time with the institution. It will be the underlying team that does the bulk of the field work. So to your point, that's that although you need to work with the skilled person, it's the underlying team that does the bulk of the work and therefore you need to get comfortable that it's it's not just one person, it's the whole team. So I completely agree. Okay. So the so the skilled person is now appointed. How should firms manage the engagement? What are the do's and don'ts, David? Yeah, I mean, we kind of touched on this, but yeah, at an operational level, um, I would always encourage firms to agree protocols, um, reporting, project meetings, SLAs, um, as early as you can. So it just keeps, it helps keep everyone honest and avoids tension. So in, in, in practical terms, that means things like, for example, right, if we ask for a document, we will turn it round or endeavor to turn it round within five days. Or if it's an interview request, same thing, we will endeavor to turn that round within five days. Similar to your point, Darren, I, again, project management is, is key and should not be underestimated on these types of projects. So a dedicated 
project manager on the firm side will save a lot of time and effort. Firms should really look to build that constructive relationship with the skilled person and the FCA for that matter. It will certainly help when a firm puts across their side of the story. And although, you know, there is obviously a process around a skilled person, um, and of course, sort of independence is paramount, but ultimately it's an engagement where people are dealing with people. So building that relationship can only be beneficial um, for the firm. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think in terms of the do's, um, I've mentioned already appointing a firm to shadow the skilled person and to advise in the process. Um, I, I suppose that depends on the um, the extent to which the firm has already gone through a skilled person process um, previously. But if they're new to the process, um, then I certainly would advise that they get someone to, to advise them. The other thing which I, I've always thought is, in, is interesting is... Um, is the is the preparation of staff who are going to be interviewed um because the outcome of the interview may have very serious consequences for individuals uh, although the fca would do their own investigation a skilled person concluding that individuals had had not met um uh, the expectations um is, is quite a serious matter uh, and you know in senior individuals would never go into a regulatory interview with the fca without being fully prepared uh, and my own view is that that should be the same um, for an interview with a skilled person, and again, if you have if you have the process managed, then um, individuals can be given enough time to think about um, the interview uh, and to prepare for the interview um, prior to it happening. Uh, I feel quite strongly about that because because I've seen a number of examples where individuals have been uh, called at, at very short notice to, to go and speak to the to the skilled person. Um, the information they provided hasn't been full or or, or adequate. And they've ended up being very heavily criticised in reports, which in turn have then um, uh, had an impact on the FCA view. I also think as well, Dan, on that point, that is where good advisors can really help a firm. Typically, you'd see an advisor sitting in on those interviews and they can really um, assist other interviewees in terms of the direction of the conversation and, as you say, help prepare the, the firm as as well as possible. So I, I agree with you. I think they're really important. I think that's right, and it's it, in many ways it's also a, a, an extension of the planning process, and also um, the, the 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 importance of getting some uh, external support, some external advice from people who have you know experience of how matters develop, so that those issues can be anticipated. Um, so you know to take your you know very you know the important point that you just made Darren which I entirely agree with which is in relation to the potential impact on individuals that's something that needs to be thought about in advance you need to think about those individuals who are going to be interviewed what the sorts of questions that they might be asked and what protections need to be put in place at the outset for those for, you know for for those persons so that it's you know that so they're properly prepared it's not a, a, a surprise and the process is managed properly whilst those important interests are, interests are protected in terms of don'ts it's an odd thing to say but do, do not assume the skilled person is, is on your side i mean the firm is obviously paying for the skilled person um but but, uh, um, and at best, um, they, they should assume the skilled person is neutral. But in my view, they're likely to lean to the view of the FCA. They're, they're, they're being appointed to look at um, issues which the FCA have identified. And um, uh, I've seen examples where uh, firms have assumed that um, everything is going really well. They've not heard anything negative from the uh, skilled person. And then the 11th hour, they get a, a report that is really rather damning. So again, it comes back to that point about 
um, making sure you're organised, you have regular meetings with the uh, skilled person to check on progress. I agree with that. And uh, just on the flip side, though, um, also don't automatically assume that because the, the skilled person has not had, said anything positive that they are necessarily going to be against you. Skilled skill person reviews, they, they, they vary, the individuals involved in vary, and some are just played straight down the line. And you may be pleasantly surprised in certain instances that the outcome is not as bad as you thought it might initially be. Yeah. I mean, one, one point, David, I just uh, would like, like to raise with you. When I was a skilled person, we had meetings with the um, FCA without um, the client. And I was always very keen to ensure that um, I was uh, seen to be neutral and fair. And so I would feed back wherever, actually, I, I actually fed back in, in almost every instance, the, the substance of the conversation I had with the FCA so that there, was, there, were, there, was no, there were no secrets on either side. Um, what's your view about um, having um, bilaterals with, with the FCA? I'm actually in complete agreement with you there, Darren. Um, for me, there's no benefit in terms of well, f to start with, I think the requirement notices um, state that you need to tell the firm that you're having a meeting with the FCA, a bilateral meeting. Um, but unless explicitly said by the FCA to not inform the firm of the uh, content of the conversation, I would always look to inform the firm of you know the content of that conversation and, and the impact it potentially has on them. I think for me, it comes back to that point around, um, you know, the advice to the firm was build a relationship with um, the skilled person with the FCA, well, actually, it's the same advice to skilled persons, you know, build that relationship with the firm. Um, obviously, there's independence to be maintained. But like I said, you could be there for, you know, months, years, you need to have a good relationship with the firm, constructive relationship. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Okay, thank you. Okay, so very often, uh, the skilled person report results in further action. In fact, it's very rare that it doesn't result in further action. Um, for example, um, remediation. Um, what are the most common mistakes you've seen when this exercise is, is undertaken? Just throwing resource at the problem often isn't the answer. Um, I would always advocate a, a small team to start with and a, a plan which senior management are behind. Um, you can then grow or firms can then grow a team to deliver specific parts, but there's always this temptation to resource up quickly and and just get doing something. And, and I understand that from a firm's perspective, they're under regulatory heat um, and they want to be seen to be moving forward, but just taking a bit more time at that stage, probably engaging advisors to really help map out the plan. It will just save so much time, effort and likely money in the long run. So. Um, Get a really good plan to start with is something that uh, I would always advocate. A com maybe not a common, but something that I've seen quite a bit of in the past is is closing project milestones down before completing QA. Um, and again, I kind of understand it on one hand from a firm's perspective, from an optical perspective, um, looking to close down milestones and demonstrate in progress. But if you've closed the milestone um, and then it fails QA, reopening milestones is really painful. And if those milestones are dependent or have dependencies on them, then you're going to be reopening other stuff. Um, so I, I'm probably getting into a bit of detail here, but I guess my point is make sure things are complete before you close them down, because it, again, it will benefit you in the long term. 
my only other real point on this is kind of similar to, to similar to the original one is you know get people who know what they're doing. Often firms will try and deliver a mediation with the same people that um, were in place before the 166. So that can either be permanent or temporary staff. Um, but in order to remediate once, which should always be the intention, um, get people who know what they're doing um, because re-remediation is not a pleasant process. Now, Jonathan, I suppose it depends on what you're talking about in terms of uh, in terms of remediation. If you are talking about remediation in terms of um, uh, addressing consumer detriment, then um, hopefully that um, remediation ex- exercise is not going to be a surprise to the firm. If, if remediation is required, then... Uh, that one would hope had been that will have been identified at, at the outset, and indeed you might be putting forward a remediation plan in order to try and avoid a skilled person's appointment in the first place. Where the remediation is in relation to issues around systems and controls and so on, that becomes a bit trickier because it will be the skilled person's view on what the inadequacies are, and um, without that view, it may be, may be more difficult to uh, formulate a clear remediation um, programme. Um, my general view would be, however, that um, waiting to see what the skilled person determines and what the FCA might then direct in relation to um, remediation can have a create a bit of a challenge in that then the perception is that that is um, that remediation is being carried out as a as a consequence of the work of the skilled person often it is but it may well be that the firm has got every intention of remediating and is simply awaiting clarity and guidance on that um, so my view would always be to you know make make it crystal clear that if you are being asked to hold off on remediation, that that is a, as a consequence of the request by the uh, by, by the regulator rather than a reluctance on the part of the firm to do anything. And I think that where that becomes important perhaps is, that, is where that may, may play out subsequently in relation to any enforcement action which, which might be brought and the existence of remediation will be a very important aspect of of the you know the resolution of 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 of, of that action it will be a mitigating mitigating factor invariably but it can be unfortunate if the perception is that it's only come about as a consequence of the skilled person's appointment as opposed to anything that the firm itself was or was not willing to do yeah yeah i think um having one of the things that i see i mean it's not so much a common mistake but um it's a surprising mistake, and that that is where um, the firm's gone through the the pain of a skilled person review, and then they, they assume the worst is over, and they take their eye off the ball when it comes to um, remediation, and they miss deadlines, and they fail to devote sufficient resources, uh, and that in, invariably ends up actually with another skilled person being appointed to check the verification exercise or worse enforcement action on the basis that the firm was given an opportunity and failed to put in place uh, systems and processes that were, that were fit for a purpose. Um, so that, that's, that's the worst of all worlds, frankly. Okay, so um, thank you very much for your insights. As a, as a wrap-up, um, if you were to highlight um, three common mistakes that firms make in Section 166 appointments, what would they be? Jonathan? I suppose if you look at it from the start of the, the process, I think the mistakes are not appreciating that a skilled person might happen. Um, setting the wrong tone with the FCA when the issue is raised, and then uh, uh, and then trying to convince the FCA to change its mind 
when it's decided that it is going to require an appointment because I think none of us can claim a great track record in terms of in terms of changing um, changing the outcome when the FCA has reached that reached that point. It's just just on that point about setting the wrong tone. I mean, I, and I say this as a, as a litigator, but the 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 kind of typical litigation approach to to the FCA is is, is never successful, is it? No, it's not. No, it's not. Okay, um, David. For me, common mistakes. Top three: selecting the wrong skilled person for your firm, and we talked about that. Um, giving people with uh, a day job or significant business as usual responsibilities important roles in the 166 process. Um, it's a sort of thing that can't be done from the side of someone's desk. Um, so my recommendation is always either allow them to drop their BAU work or get someone in dedicated to do it properly. And the other thing I would advise firms as well is to even early on in the process, have a focus on the end game. And by that, I mean, what does what does the end of the process look like? Um, you know, when I've been on, on the advisory side, I've, you know, I've seen some skilled persons seemingly look to continue the engagement for as long as possible. Um, and for me, that's not in anyone's interest, really. It's not in the FCA's interest because they want the issues fixed. And it's not in the firm's interests. Um, arguably, it's in the uh, the skilled person's interests. Um, so think about the end game and, and don't be afraid to have those discussions early with the skilled person in terms of what does the end game look like and, and, and ultimately how do we exit the process? Yeah, all, all very good points. And I agree, I agree with all of them. I mean, I think just to, to build on that, um, you know, a failure to pay close attention to the detail of the requirement notice. What are you actually um, being asked? What is the skilled person being asked to do? Um, not obtaining advice um, and then not being proactive in managing the process. So not having the documents ready, not not um, anticipating when the um, when the skilled person review will start uh, and just not being organized generally uh, will slow the process down and actually will give a, a very misleading, perhaps a misleading impression to the skilled person who would think you're you're, you're a bit um, chaotic, which never is, is never it's never the right thing or the, or the right um, perception to, to uh, give. Okay, look, that's um, that, that's all we have time for today. Um, I'd like to thank David and Jonathan for their insightful comments. I hope that um, everyone listening has enjoyed today's topic. If you have any questions on the matters raised today or have ideas for future podcasts, um, please uh, drop me a line at darren.allen at shoesmiths.co. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Darren.